Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman, also known as the Comeback Coach. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. If you love veterans, if you love music, this is going to be the episode for you. Uh, first, I want to thank our sponsors for today. Uh, one of our, our best sponsors, and he's also a veteran, has an apparel company called Authentically American, where all his T-shirts and all his swag are made in the United States. So definitely check them out at Authentically American. And 10% of, their se- of all the sales go to help veterans and first responders struggling with, with um depression, PTSD, and several other issues. So definitely check them out. Guys, this is going to be a great episode. As you guys know, um, I love having artists on. I had had Jax Young on a while ago. Have some more people coming up. This gentleman is one of my favorite new uh, country artists that I love. And he's also a veteran. So I got to get it all to him. Doug, my brother, what's going on? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man. You know what? I knew you were having I knew I was going to have you on today. And I watched every video that I could find every <laughs> song that I can listen to. Bro, you have an amazing talent. Thank you. You are truly, truly uh, awesome. Now, I'm a big country guy. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like I'm that old school country guy. Um, you know, I like uh, I like some old Tim McGraw. You know, I'm all I'm a big Travis guy. So uh, and uh, and of course, you know, you got to love Garth. So who? So, some- so, so when you're saying old country, like you're you're talking 90s. When I think old country, I'm thinking back to the 70s, man. I'm thinking about, you know, guys like Buck Owens or uh, Merle or Waylon or. Oh, I uh, love Merle. Merle Haggard. Yeah, buddy. Hell yeah. I, I love that stuff, man. And, and I, I love outlaw country. But then I also, you know, one reason I, I love like some of the artists that I mentioned is that they're kind of like you where they tell a story in their music. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, I lost my wife, I lost my house, I lost my car. You know, they actually have stories. And I think that's one thing that's really, that you're really gifted at is telling a story through your music. So were you always um, an art an artist did you always like certain music or did you like rock at all did you like any other forms of music besides country well I, I never set out to be a country artist and even today I'm not sure I'm a, a country artist it's it's funny um depending on you know the, the the word country means something very different depending on who you're talking to and so in some circles they would say I'm more of a Americana artist perhaps you know um but no I, I grew up uh, with a very eclectic taste in in music, my uh, you know my dad was into like all of the the old uh, you know sixties folk era you know Kingston Trio Mary uh, 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 Peter Paul and Mary you know those those folks um, so that was part of the the upbringing and of course you know I grew up in South Texas and so you know you always have you know Willie Nelson and George Strait going on in the background. But uh, my first artistic love was uh, was Billy Joel, <laughs> and I got I got hooked on Billy Joel's music at probably seven years old, and uh, still still would count him as my as my uh, favorite artist. You know, you know, I grew up. You know, I'm I'm actually like 15 minutes from Manhattan, 
and he sold out the garden, I think like a hundred and something times. And, uh, and my wife really loves uh, Billy Joel, but I yeah. get also his music. It's all about storytelling. Right. Right. And, and I think, I think that's something that always struck me. The, the, the people in his songs always feel like real people, you know, the, uh, you know, Anthony worked at the grocery store. You feel like you know Anthony, you know. Uh, James, you are my brother. You know, I, I feel like I know James. I feel like I know all of these characters. You know, when he sings Piano Man and he's going through the bar, I'm pretty sure I've met some of those people. Um, so, yeah, Billy Joel was a huge one. And then um, and then around high school, I got really into um, Pink Floyd, which, again, um, very focused on on their storytelling, although they're a little bit weirder about it. Um, but uh, so yeah, I, I didn't necessarily uh, set out to write anything particularly country or Americana. It, that's just the way um, the soundtrack of my life shaped the music that I wrote. So what kind of you know we're gonna, we're going to hop into Wayback Machine now. Okay. Uh, so what kind of little boy was Doug as a little boy? Um. I, you know, I'm told and looking back, I can, I think I can see this, that I was a very angry, uh, child. Um, when I was, when I was eight years old, my, uh, my mom was in a severe car accident, suffered a traumatic brain injury. And, um, so my, my childhood was, was largely filled with, you know, dealing with that. And, uh, you know, my dad was, was, uh, not particularly around for, a lot of it and my brother and sister were much older than me um so when i've heard people describe me as a child it seems like there was always uh, extremes of of being uh, an angry child but also being uh, a super affectionate needy one and i think i think that looking back that makes a lot of sense if you think about a child who's experiencing the trauma of you know his mom uh, having a, a TBI and and uh, basically coming back as a completely different person. Yep, I understand that because I have I have a TBI, so I totally get that. So now, like when I was a kid, because I grew up ve- a very abused child, mm-hmm. um, my uh, go to was reading books. I became addicted to reading books, and that, it was a it was a way for me to to get out of my life and live different lives through my books. What were the, your coping mechanisms? Well, um, so music was very briefly, I, I, uh, I, I was taking music lessons, piano lessons when, when mom had her accident and probably only lasted about a year after that. And then decided I just was fed up with it. And, uh, poor Mrs. Droth. I'll, I'll never forget, uh, Nina Droth. She was, she was my uh, piano teacher and She's to blame for everything that happened afterwards with me becoming a musician. Um, but uh, really, my grandparents um, were probably the biggest help for me in, in coping through that whole time. Uh, they had three acres of land out, you know, in a small town in Texas. And so I would go out there and just run around on their, I hesitate to call it a farm, but um, on their property and uh, grandpa would hand me a shovel and I would just go dig a hole for no particular reason and, uh, just run around and be a child. Um, I got real, I got really into Legos and then later on into, you know, role-playing games and all of that fun stuff. But, so what kind of, uh, kid were you in high school? Um, I was, so by the time we got to high school, I, I, I realized, um, 
unequivocally that I was not going to be an athlete. <laughs> so I threw myself into every form of, uh, of artistic expression that I could get into. I got into theater. I got into choir. I got in, you know, I was in really involved in band as a saxophone player. Um, and uh, I was nerdy. Um, I, I was like, I was like cool among some of the nerdy kids, if that makes any sense. Yep, because my wife, she all through high school, she was in the band, saxophone player. So I, 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 I total, I totally understand. And very, and very obsessed with with women, I, I, with girls. I, 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 man, I lived and breathed for the pretty girls. In fact, that's actually why I started playing. That's one of the reasons why I started playing uh, piano again. Um, was because I realized I was never going to be an athlete. But if I played piano and uh, played piano around the, the the choir girls, they would all gather around me and we could sing show tunes together. And suddenly it's me and 20 beautiful choir girls. <laughs> so now did you get a scholarship for colleges or anything? Like no, I didn't. Um, actually, I went directly from high school to the military. Um, right, now, hold on before you start. You know, because I, I said, you know, I've interviewed hundreds of people on the show now and I everyone has a different recruiting story. So talk to me about the day you went to your, your recruiter. Well, he actually came to, to the school because um, he was recruiting specifically for uh, Army Band and uh, which is what I ultimately did is I joined the Army Band. And um, man, he he just he saw me coming a mile away. <laughs> Looking back, he 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 just uh, he read me clearly. So I, I was raised as a Navy brat. Uh, my dad was career uh, was career Navy, and um, so I just was absolutely adamant I was never going to join the military. <laughs> so this recruiter comes in and he starts talking about the military bands, and I just decide to be an arrogant ass and you know started kind of messing with him a little bit. And he goes, well, you know, most people don't make it through the audition process. So immediately he's playing on my ego right there. He's like, well, you probably can't do it anyway. You know, so he asks me a few softball music theory questions and, and I answered them. He's like, oh, well, maybe you have what it takes. So <laughs> now my ego is all inflated and he's like, well, you know, I, I know you're not interested. Why don't you come in and you can take a practice ASVAB test, <laughs> you know? So I went to the recruiting station and um, just to see if I could. I'm like, I'm not going to join. I'm not going to join. I'm just, you know, I don't have anything better to do. So then I took the test and he got it back. And and uh, typical recruiting story. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you got that score. I didn't even know it went that high. <laughs> well, so, you, so, you, so you crushed it on the ASVAB. Uh, well, this was the pre-ASVAB. And so uh, he's just like talking me up and feeding my ego left and right. And I'm just, I'm just eating it up. Just absolutely eating it up. So he talks me into taking the real ASVAB and I scored a 90 on it. And um, so then he's like, well, you know, you still got to get through your band audition. And, and, uh, and, and all this time, I, you know, I had been thinking, well, I, I'm not really doing this, but you know, he just kind of kept egging me on with, well, let's just see, let's just see. And uh, so I took my army band uh, audition on saxophone and um, it, it's graded on a four point scale and I failed it by a hundredth of a point. 
And um, I, I used to remember the 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 guy, the sergeant's name who auditioned me. He's a tuba player, and I can't remember him offhand, but I, I you know ran into it, ran into him in my career, brief career. Um, but he just looked at me. He goes, "Well, I could spend the time auditioning you again, and I know you're going to pass." And so he just kind of fudged one of the scores <laughs> to give me a passing grade, and. That was it. At that point, I had the affirmation and the acceptance and everything. And I was like, all right, I'm going to be in the Army band. So I'd gone from this recruiter took me, just fed my ego. And I went from no way I'm ever joining the military to sweet mom. Look what I just did. I just swore into the Army. <laughs> so now because I I've never I mean, I've had some people that were in, in the in the band and stuff. And I never asked this question. I don't know why, but um what was basic training like? Is it any different? <laughs> no, um, went to Fort Jackson. Um, did the Relax same. Jackson. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. But uh, that's that's where I retired out of. So I love Fort Jackson. No, it was fine. It, but no, it was just a normal basic training. You have to do it. We have, you know, your soldiers first, regardless of what you do. Um, but the so drill sergeants we... didn't dog you out for just you know talking about you guys just going to be musicians. Oh yeah, they did. Of course they did. Uh, although one of the, one of the drill sergeants uh, had been combat arms and had an appreciation for the army bands simply because of the way the bands support uh, combat arms units, especially when they're coming back mm -hmm. or performing for. And so he would tease us of course, but you know, it was, it was lighthearted. And then he would also, uh, talk the bands up. And if I remember right, it's been a long time, but there were actually eight of us in my uh, basic training platoon uh, that were heading on to the School of Music for AIT. Now, did you got did you deploy at all? Yeah. Um, so I was stationed with the 1st Armored Division Band in Wiesbaden, Germany, and uh, we deployed in 2003 to uh, Baghdad, to the Baghdad International Airport. And, um, yeah, so we were, we were stationed there from, um, I don't remember my, my wife knows the exact day that we, we got there. Cause she, my, my wife was, uh, was also in the band with me. Um, Oh, that's cool. Did you guys <laughs> there? Yeah. She was the new girl. And three months later we got married. So, <laughs> wow. and here we are 18 years on, she's still putting up with me. So. so you must be doing something right, brother. That's right. That's right. So now, how many years did you do in the military? We did. Uh, I did four. She did five and a half. Uh, she was better at it than I was. Uh, but we spent uh, 15 months, the first two years of our marriage, living in different tents in Baghdad. So Now, did you guys see any action? Not used to together. I mean, I mean, from... Well, a, that's a whole other conversation yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to be talking about that here. Uh, <laughs> it's a family show. Uh, but did you guys see any action in, in Iraq? Well, I mean, I guess it all depends on what you define as, as action. Um, I, I always want to be careful to never paint myself as uh, as some courageous hero or war. What I, I even struggle with war veteran, even though we were stationed in a war zone. Um we were we were not kicking in doors. We we never came under direct fire. Uh, okay. But while we were while we were there from about November of two thousand three until we finally left in July of two thousand four, um, 
we were getting rocket and mortar attacks uh, at least once daily up to five times daily. Yeah, because that's when stuff just started kicking off. So, Oh, man, I'm telling you. So now, um, you know, like I've talked to, you know, hundreds of people on the show and, mm -hmm. you know, um, when they get out and first this, this question has two parts, by the way, mm -hmm. um, you know, when they get out, you know, we all think that we're, you know, hua hua and all uh, hardcore and all that, you know, but we get used to getting paid on the first and the 15th. You know, we used to getting paid BAQ, having 30 days paid vacation. And, you know, like one of one of my friends, Nick says, you know. Once you hit, once you foot, feet touch off base, the military does not give a shit about you. Mm -hmm. So, and then you know, a lot of people get into, you know, depressions because not only are they, you know, losing their career, but they're also losing their connections and people that they considered family. So what was your, and they lose their mission, you know? So what mm -hmm. was your transition like? Um, mine was a little different, um, simply because my, my wife had enlisted after I did. And, uh, so I, I actually transitioned to being a military spouse immediately. So I was still sort of in the, the military world and, and I had grown up as a Navy brat. So I was still on, you know, on familiar territory and, uh, my last six months in the military, I had gotten really, really bitter, uh, about, about the army. Um, so I was just really eager to get out. It, it, it had largely to do with, um, with a, a handful of the NCOs in, in my company, you know, out, out in the civilian world, they say, you know, people don't, um, people don't quit jobs. They quit bad bosses. And, yep. um, I, I had some NCOs, I think that were a lot like that. And I'm not saying I was a great soldier cause I was never, there were certain things I was never great at. Um, but I was really, really excited to get out and be done with it. Um, and then uh, when it, you know, after about a year and a half, Erin uh, got pregnant and she was going to take a pregnancy discharge. And um, from there I became a, a pastor and I didn't really look back um, on my military service until just a few years ago. And it was, uh, it was always something that, uh, that I did, but I didn't really, uh, I didn't really talk a lot about it. Um, just didn't seem all that important at that, at the time for a long time. Um, and then I rediscovered, um, I rediscovered camaraderie among veterans, you know, through a, an organization and, uh, yeah, so it's, it's really changed my outlook. So when did you, you know, transition from, no, because I know a lot of people, you know, they, they, they play piano. Like I tried piano and I could not figure it out whatsoever. I was horrible at it. Now I'm the world's okayest guitar player, mm -hmm. but I especially love, you know, the kind of music as I get older, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more into the, the Eagles and stuff like that. I, I'm, lo I'm loving more acoustic music. Mm -hmm. So when did you actually start picking up the guitar again? Um, it was actually... I want to say it was right after we got back um, from Iraq in 2004. Um, I, I don't know. I've always, I had always been interested in the guitar. And uh, if you were to hear me play piano, especially back then, uh, I would approach, you know, playing in a band kind of like a guitar player with just the way that I would voice things and the, the rhythms that I would play. Um, so I, I just picked up a cheap guitar at a German music store and, and, uh, 
tried to learn. Of course, it was absolutely terrible for a long time. But uh, yeah, it just it just seemed like it was easier to carry around than a piano and easier to sing with than a saxophone. Yeah, and I know, like one thing I love about acoustics, you know, I got like a cheap, I think it was like a uh, $200 acoustic Yamaha. Uh, but it's nice because you can just take it out and go sit around the fire pit and everybody could just hang out and sing songs together. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that like the acoustic guitar, it kind of brings, it kind of brings people together. Well, so, I was, I was largely focused on being able to lead music uh, in a church context at that point. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, contemporary Christian music is largely based on uh, acoustic guitar. So. Yeah, I'm a big Hillsong guy. I love Christian. I'm a big Christian. I, lo- I love Christian artists. And somehow as, one of my friends, we were just talking um, when we first met in 1986 and we were stationed together. He was listening to Slayer mm-hmm. and I was listening to uh, Striper. Striper. <laughs> and, and I'm a big Striper guy to this day. So, yeah. And, and I started listening. To, I got into a lot of, uh, you know, Christian rock and Christian metal. Man, in the in the 80s, my uh, my, my brother went through a, a really heavy uh, Christian music phase. And I can remember him having... Uh, Carmen tapes and uh, yeah. Petra. I remember Petra's uh, Pet- this yeah. mean the this means war album. I could probably still sing along with that. So now, when did you decide it? All right, um, it's time to record. When? What? How did that come about? Wow, there's a lot of uh, of time and space in between there. Um, well, this so, is your like this is like just two brothers hanging out. So this yeah. is your show. No, so no, it, it, whatever you want to talk about. No, it's it, um, so I was this see. is like behind the music, this is no, the behind no, 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 the music yeah. of Doug, yeah. So, um, did uh, the, the, the associate pastor, music pastor thing for about a, a decade, and then we moved out here to Utah. And um, the way I got into performing, and of course, I'd been performing my entire life, and I love performing, I love being on stage. Um, but uh, I moved out here for, you know, in large part for work. And, uh, but I moved ahead of my family because my wife was still finishing up school. So I had about three months just living as a, as a bachelor out here and I needed to find my people. And I figured my people were probably musicians. So I went to this uh, open mic night at a, just a local music venue, but there was a catch and that you could only play original music. Um, and I didn't, didn't really have any original music. So I sat down and wrote a couple of songs just so I could have a way to participate, you know, and, um, got some really positive feedback and encouragement, had a lot of fun. And, and even at that point, I wasn't thinking about performing, but, uh, as I wrote more songs, got better feedback, I just rediscovered a love for being on the stage. And, uh, it was about a year into that, that, um, a buddy of mine named Andrew Wiscom introduced me to Operation Encore, uh, which is a, a military veteran uh, music project. And uh, they picked up one of my songs. That was my first experience recording. And um, prior to that, I had thought, well, maybe I could make it as a songwriter and I'll just have other people sing it. I don't really have the goods to be a front man. But they picked up my song and uh, I, I I just I guess I just stopped lying to myself at some point and decided that I didn't really want to just write songs for other people I wanted to perform, and uh, so that was about five and a half years ago I think five six years ago. 
And, you know, like one thing I, I find, you know, that I give all you musicians credit for is to be to, to be able to sing and play at the same time. I can do one or the other. I can never do both. So, you know, was that something that you had to overcome? Did you always um, did you ever have any stage fright being out out in front of the band instead of being, you know, like playing the saxophone in the band? Um, I think, I think everyone goes through a degree of, of stage fright, especially early on. Um, but for me, I get such a high off of being on stage. It is absolutely my favorite place to be. Um, it's, it's honestly the place where I feel the most relaxed. Um, I feel more like myself on stage than I do off stage. I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, depression and anxiety. And those are, those have been, uh, you know, constant companions of mine through most of my life. And the one place where I just feel completely blissful and at peace is when I have, uh, an instrument in my hand and I'm standing in front of a bunch of people. Um, so, um, as far as playing and singing together, I think with any instrument, yeah, it, there comes a point where it becomes muscle memory and um, it's really hard if you're thinking, if you're still thinking about what you're doing on the instrument, then it's really hard to play and sing. But, um, but, you know, you just, you just have to work to a point where you're not really thinking about what you're doing with your hands and then you can focus on your voice or get to a point where you don't have to think about what you're doing with your voice and think more about your hands. Yeah. Now I have, you know, there's a lot of people that that are listening to this are veterans and they're also entrepreneurs. We call them vetrepreneurs. Sure. You know, a lot of them are speakers, coaches, writers. Uh, and, you know, even like myself, you know, I'm, I'm a, I try, I'm a creator. And mm -hmm. sometimes I'll sit down and I'll, I'll just have like one big brain fart. <laughs> And it'll take me a while to come up with content. So do you ever come up, you know, ever just sit down with the guitar and, and just sit there and just have like draw a blank? <laughs> more, you know? more often than not, honestly, if I'm trying to write. Um, so then how do you work through that? Um, there's, there's different creative exercises you can do to try to help with that. Um, but I, what I found is that for me personally, um, if I can't create what I'm usually missing is space. Um, my brain is too cluttered. My schedule's too cluttered. Um, and generally the thing that I need is, is space. So um, I either need to free up the schedule, you know, take a nap, uh, get some time away, get some alone time, or even just hopping in the car to driving. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my songs, you know, got their start when I was just driving in the car by myself for a long long period of time because um, you know your mind starts to wander you know, especially driving down a highway you have a long stretch of road it's mostly straight and you know turn the radio off and just create that space and um, sometimes the ideas will start flowing sometimes you have to really work at it and massage it but now um, what do you do you know are you a full-time music artist or what do you do to pay the bills well, i'm working on being a full-time music artist we're getting closer every year um but no i i work in it um i i work for a software company uh here in provo okay you know not, and i have a lot of friends in utah i never realized how many friends i have in utah but i got a lot of friends in utah 
and I can't wait to come out and visit. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people when they get out of you know the military, they just have uh, a problem, you know, finding work. Mm-hmm. But on the positive side, I, I think you know, v- veterans are some of your best employees and some of your best business owners. So what do you think the positiveness that you've learned in the military has uh, transitioned over to your civilian career and your music career? Um, I think it, it boils down largely to uh, tenacity and adaptability. Um, so, you know, I started in IT a few years ago because, you know, after years of being a pastor, we were still standing in, literally standing in food lines um, to help feed the family, you know, because we were, the, the income just simply was not there. And, and people, people, especially in, in small churches, don't really understand the position that they put their clergy in sometimes. Um, and they, they really mistreat them in terms of money. Uh, and I'm sorry, this is a little bit of a tangent, but no, like I said, this is just two brothers having a conversation. Yeah. But like I, I, there was a, a church we were at in the church we were at in Michigan, which was the first one that I was ever on staff at. Um, we had to be so careful with what we said because we were we were p- being paid barely above the poverty line. And if we ever said anything about us struggling, I would get called into the pastor's office and chewed out because I was complaining we weren't making enough money. Or if Aaron mentioned something about, uh, you know, struggling to pay the bills, then that would come back to us. Or if we, if we did anything for ourselves, like took a vacation or bought something nice, then people would look at us and would say, you know, well, is that where our money is going? (laughs) You know, because they tithe and so they think that they're entitled to our finances. And so that was a a really, uh, unhealthy situation. So I I had the opportunity um, several years ago to, uh, and I'd I'd had my bachelor's degree in in Christian ministry, but uh, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't paying the bills for us and it just wasn't a healthy dynamic, I don't think. And um, the, the rules for the GI bill changed. and, And for a long time, the GI bill, you know, you couldn't really use, you couldn't use the, the GI Bill for certain kinds of tech schools. And uh, that rule changed and allowed me to go and get some IT training at a, at a tech school. And that that kicked, started the career that I'm in now. Um, so, you know, you, I, the whole story has just been simply one of uh, adapting to whatever life throws at me. I've done, I've bathed dogs, I've sold pianos or sold cars or I've sold um my sanity (laughs) um but you know now so now you know okay you're working a regular job Mm -hmm. and then you know because this happens to i'd say 99 percent of entrepreneurs you know they have to have a side hustle before it can be it can replace your main income right talk to us about how the balance is how do you balance home life how do you balance the hustle and the grind of, you know, becoming, you know, the real Doug Lane? Yeah. Well, fortunately, um, I, I've been really blessed in that in that the the job I'm in right now uh, is is kind of flexible 
with my hours, basically as long as I'm getting the work done. Um, it's not a strict nine to five, you know, time day. Um, so that allows a little bit of flexibility for when I need to do other things. But the honest truth is you just work at it in all of the spare hours. I've got four kids. I'm a dance dad. Uh, so we're, oh, I'm always taking my girls to dance, um, you know, practice every, you know, almost every night. My son's in the band. And, um, so it's a lot of late nights. It's just grind, 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 grind. Um, I mean, it's, it's not easy. Um, I, honestly, I tell people if, if you can do anything else, you should do something else. But, um, I don't think I would ever really be satisfied you know, now, like a lot of people, you know, you know, especially now or the last year, at least, mm -hmm. you know, here in New Jersey, you know, because of COVID, everything locked down. So how did you have to pivot with your musical career? Obviously, there's not a lot of places you were, maybe you were, or maybe you weren't able to go play out. So how did that affect you? Well, up until about October, uh, I was able to still have a lot of gigs. Not so much in Utah, but we're right we're right next to to Wyoming, and Wyoming doesn't give a crap. <laughs> so uh, they, I kept getting gigs in in Wyoming. You know, either solo or or, or with my band. Um, we picked up a few that's you know in in, in Idaho, uh, some private gigs. But the biggest pivot I think was um, I started. Um, started focusing more on online marketing. I guess I guess what it boils down to is this that I mean we talk I, I mentioned tenacity and adaptability and I think this is where the adaptability comes in. I looked at all of my friends who are musicians in this area and they basically threw their hands up in the air and said, well we can't gig, we can't do anything. And I I asked the question, okay, I can't gig, so what can I do? And what I realized that what I could do was I could write, I could release music, I could promote it online, I could focus on my global audience, uh, I could focus on my streaming, I could focus on building the brand, the story, the promotion, and interaction with fans. Uh, so there were, I think, a ton of things that I could do. Uh, I just couldn't go out and do that one thing. I couldn't go out and perform. Um, so you you improvise, adapt, and overcome. I love that. So now what is, because this is one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on. I wanted to have you on last year, but I think we had a lot of site scheduling conflicts and all that mm -hmm. stuff. But now you have a tour coming up. Talk mm -hmm. to us about that. Talk to us about where you're going to be. Well, <clears throat> we're calling it the Unmasked Tour um, for obvious reasons. But uh, the, the my my fans voted on the name and they picked they picked Unmasked. So we're going to go with it. And uh, it's a it's a shortish tour. This will be our first, uh, my band's first tour. And of course, they all work as well. But we're taking three weeks. We're going to start off in Wyoming and head down for several dates in uh, in Texas. We'll be playing in um, the Dallas, Austin, Houston, Corpus Christi, and Midland areas. Uh, with several stops in each of them. And uh, the idea was simply um, simply born out of. Uh, well, I, I grew up in Texas, and I've never really had a chance to perform with my band there. I've always wanted to go play there. Um, now, what and, is the name of the band? Well, I perform as the real Doug Lane, okay. and they're and they're my band. <laughs> so, okay. Um, when is the tour? 
so we'll be it'll it'll kick off on july 2nd and we're going to run for three weeks in july and our final date will be back here on uh, july 24th which uh, is a, a big holiday in in utah called pioneer day or uh, if you're if you're not mormon then you call it uh, pioneer beer day uh, <laughs> okay so we've got a big party planned for that it'll, it'll be a great time so yeah, yeah, folks can 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 catch me on the road, and uh, we'll have a good time. There's basically two different types of shows that we're doing, um, just depending on the stop and where we're in. For for most of the bar performances we're doing, we've uh, put together a three hour super set. Um, so no no breaks in 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 the music. We've found ways to give ourselves break without you know it stopping for the audience, and that'll have some of my originals. Most well, it'll have a lot of my originals. And then a lot of uh, country covers, especially the classic and the the really Texan country. Uh, so we've got some, you know, Billy Joe Shaver and uh, Guy Clark and Towns Van Zandt uh, built into it, uh, as well as some of the '90s country that you love. We've got some Travis Tritt in there for you. Okay. Um, the the other show is just a straight up concert of of originals, and so they're very very different experiences. Uh, if you have a chance to see both. Uh, I would strongly, strongly recommend seeing both because they're such, such, such different shows. Um, and uh, the musicians I play with are absolutely stellar. Uh, so they they make it really easy. They make me look good. <laughs> okay, so now, uh, how do we find your music? Because like I said, I the last 24 hours has been nothing but Doug Lane, Doug mm -hmm. Lane, Doug Lane, Doug Lane, uh, and and I love all your music and I listen to every song and I, I love it. So how do we find your music? And if somebody wants to get some, get some of your music, how do they do that? Well, the first thing, the first and most important thing is to realize that if you're looking for Doug Lane music, you're going to get the wrong guy because there's two other guys putting out music uh, named Doug Lane. Um, so you have to look for the real Doug Lane. Um, and you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, anywhere anywhere you stream. Uh, if you go on Facebook or Instagram, both of them are just at the real Doug Lane. And uh, if you want to find tour dates, you can find that on Bands in Town. So bandsintown.com slash the real Doug Lane. I love it. Now, last question I ask every well, I got two questions because I um when I ever talk to a man of faith like yourself, I always add an extra question. Um you know, we live in a crazy world still, you know, we, um, some places are still locked down. I think we're, we get unlocked, I think on like May 28th or something, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, we got parents, you know, driving Uber just to put kids in their mouth cause food in their mouth cause they got laid off. We got grandparents, homeschooling kids. Um, so we live in a crazy world. Mm -hmm. So if I asked the, uh, the average person to do something in seven days, they're never going to get to it. But if I asked them to take an actionable step, in the next 24 hours, they're more likely. So if somebody is not hitting their goals or not reaching their goals, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to start to right the ship? Ask for help. Okay. I, 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 I mean, that's, that's the one thing that I have found um, a lot of successful entrepreneurs I, I know do that, that most people won't do successful people are willing to admit when they can't and they're willing to ask for help so if you're not 
meeting your goals or if you're struggling to pay the bills or, you know, whatever it is, humble yourself and ask for help. Um, because there are people around you that, that, that can help you, that can help you financially. There's organizations that can help you financially. There's, uh, there's people out there with the experience and the knowledge to help you get to the next step. But most people don't know the struggles that you're going through. Um, there's a there's a song um, that I really love. This uh, from uh, Trans Siberian Orchestra. They have a they have a one. Oh, love TSO. Yeah, yeah. Love so on on their on their first Christmas album, there's a there's a song called Old City Bar, and it's about the bar the bartender sees a, a a homeless girl across the street and offers her help. Finds out she's stranded. Blah blah blah. Um, but there's a there's a, a line in there that says, uh, if you if you want to arrange it this world, you can change it. If we could somehow make this Christmas thing last by helping a neighbor and even a stranger, but to know who needs help, you need only just ask. And but I think that the ask goes both ways. So you I, I think that people need to be willing to to admit when they need help. But you, but there's also those of us who are capable of helping need to be able to ask others that we perceive struggling, hey, what can I help you with? Um, but the ask is the thing. I think that's the biggest thing people need to do. Okay. Now, last question that I ask certain people because I'm, I'm, I, I'm a man of faith. I, I try to be try to be the best Christian man I can. Of course, I fail. You know, I fail every day. But for people out there that are struggling with their faith. Um, you know, they, they say that if, you know, if um, if you don't feel close to God, you're the one that moved and that he's there, you know, um, yesterday and say tomorrow. He never moves. He's always there for you. So if there's somebody struggling with their faith, what is something they can do to get closer to God in the next 24 hours? Well, first of all, I, I question that premise biblically, because there's there are many examples biblically of God removing his hand from people. Um, so that so it could be that God has removed his hand from you for a season. Um, so for, for, first of all, I, I, I do question that premise, but what can they do to, um, to get closer to God? What I would say is um, start acting out your faith. I mean, faith, someone said, someone said once, um, pastor friend of mine said, Faith, like courage, is just a word until it's tested. Um, the commands of the Bible were never meant to just be memorized and put on a shelf. The, the lessons of the Bible were never meant to be learned and put on a shelf. They should all inspire action. So what I would say is go back to, go back to Scripture, and I would ask three simple questions. What is, what is this passage, whatever passage you're reading, what does it say about God? What does it say about us? And what can I do today to act on it? Um, and I, I think that just the simple act of, of, of obedience kindles and stirs faith. Um, but you should expect that your faith is going to be tested. You should expect it. I mean, Jesus told you that you would be tested, that you would face persecution, troubles, trials. The uh, there's no there's nothing in Scripture that says that being a Christian makes your life easy. 
if any if anything the promises are that um the the eternal reward will be worthwhile but that your that your life on earth could actually be harder for following jesus yep i get it and he, you know he said one of the gifts are, are is long suffering yep. and a lot of people kind of they kind of skip over that one they're like oh, oh yeah i'm not going to use that one you know Mm-hmm. Brother, I'm so grateful. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank, but I want to thank, first of all, our sponsors, Authentically mm-hmm. American. He's a veteran. He also helps veterans that are struggling, uh, like myself, with PTSD, uh, traumatic brain injuries, and depression. So I want to thank them for sponsoring the show. Doug, brother, I'm so grateful. Um, and I'm going to reach out to you right after this to find out what day you would like this podcast um, put out. This way, it will be the best way to get ears and eyes on on what you're doing and your tour and i'm so grateful for your friendship brother likewise man i i, I really appreciate it thanks thanks again for having me on of course man and let you know once i believe that once you i have you on our show is when the relationship just starts yeah. so i'm very grateful that you're um you know that you're in my corner and i appreciate you brother yeah likewise all right god bless you and have an amazing day you too Bye-bye. Hey, guys. If you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new T-shirt line that's coming out. Hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support vertical momentum and you're always looking to get better also we have our new coffee brand coming out it's called vertical momentum coffee it's ass kicking coffee and and it will it will get you moving in the morning so guys if you're interested go to www.richardkaufman.net check us out leave us a note Tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built. So if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission which is to save lives. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.